Campfire Classics is a classic literature podcast. However, your hosts will occasionally use not-so-classy language and immature humor to describe very mature situations. As such, listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. It's a new moon, not a full moon, so there will be no butts on this episode. (laughs) (laughs) That is a big promise. (laughs) It's true, we don't know what's coming. I also don't think we have made it through an episode without butts. I mean, the word butt, I'm sure there's been occasional stories without, like, a reference to a butt. I'm sure we've gotten through a story without yeah. a reference to a butt. I don't think we've gotten through an, an episode entire episode without wow. a reference to a butt. Well, well, if you're scared of that, you should run away right now. But if you're into <laughs> it, stay. <laughs> <laughs> so, hi, our one new listener this week. Hi. That's what you're in store for. Yeah. Silly songs and butts. And butt stuff. <laughs> and butt stuff. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's a new moon. Uh, it's also the Lunar New Year. Um, so happy New Year again. <laughs> cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's the Year of the Rabbit. Oh. Um, welcome to the Year of the Rabbit. Welcome to learning all sorts of uh, lunar astronomical stuff, apparently. I'm a witch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just leaning into it more these days. All right. Well, tell me more. Tell me more. What does Year of the Rabbit mean? I haven't done that much research. (laughs) I know I'm the year of the dog. Like, I was born 82 is the year of the dog. Okay. Um, I believe there are 12 rotating animals that are the lunar. I I used to go to a, like, Chinese restaurant Mm -hmm. that on the menu, it was paper menus that would sit in front of you, and it had all of the, like, animals associated with the Oh, the, the Chinese years. zodiac yeah. is the same as the lunar zodiac or the lunar yeah, animal? Well, the, yeah, the lunar new year is the Chinese Chinese new year. Oh, okay. That's what it is. Cool. Um, well, then I'm the year of the rat. Well, there you go. See, you know. Yeah. I know so, that. Yeah, and exactly. So you'd go to these Chinese restaurants and you're like, what's my... What's my year? And I'm like, oh, I'm the year of the dog, and you're the Which year of the rat. supposedly means I am uh, resilient, clever, and manipulative, but... <laughs> well, and I believe I'm loyal, snuggly, and playful. <laughs> playful! <laughs> Whereas it's funny because I always call it, say Ken that is like a puppy. <laughs> yeah. I was always really bitter because my brother is the year of the dragon. I Yes. Uh, isn't he 87? 88. 88. My sister was a cool one because she's 87. And I can't I can't remember what it is now, but it also made me jealous. I was yeah. like, dog's cute and all, but dog's so, you know, like, it's a dog. It's a dog. <laughs> like, it's a dog, which dogs are adorable, and I freaking love dogs, but, like, I want to be something mystical. It's also super generic, right? Like, yeah. the year of the dog, okay, but there's a world of difference between it being, like, the year of the St. Bernard and the year of the Yorkie. Well, and it's, like, my Patronus, <laughs> when I did the my Patronus thing, I'm, like, uh, uh, I'm, a, like, a golden retriever or something like i'm some sort of like really cute dog, dog but again yeah. i'm the fucking dog i'm like can i be like a, a freaking like unicorn or a, a, there are worse a, things than being a dog dogs lo- are wonderful i love puppies sweet. it means i'm the sweetest and i everyone <laughs> wants to play with me and uh i'm happy all the time which that's not true but like um my favorite animal statistic which may have come up on the podcast before um 
but hey, listener, if you don't know, look this up. The National Animal of Scotland. National Animal of Scotland. Isn't it Loch Ness Monster? Go ahead and look it up. The National Animal of Scotland is a unicorn. Yep. I think I actually did know that because there are unicorns everywhere around Scotland. Like, there's a few of them right there. That's freaking hilarious because it doesn't exist. (laughs) Don't tell the Scots that. Well, yeah. I mean, (laughs) I love that I guess the Loch Ness Monster also does not exist, but don't tell the Scots that. Don't tell the Scots that. (laughs) And I sure went looking for it. Or any cryptozoologists. Well, yeah, I'm sure there is something in that lake that looks like a Loch Ness Monster, but I think it's like an octopus or a whale of some sort or I don't know. Or an otter that's just been photographed in really strange light. It's a dolphin with a really big penis (laughs) (laughs) playing with an anaconda. (laughs) Well, that's what they... Anyway, that's an old story. We don't need to bring that back. (laughs) That will live, that image, though, will live rent-free in me forever. (laughs) Two dolphins swimming down the Amazon, I believe, uh, playing with an anaconda, and they both had um, full erect peens. Members. (laughs) And I'm like, they're like, dolphins be kinky, (laughs) y'all. They enjoy some snake play. They like playing with snakes. Constrictor play, (laughs) as it were. And it was two men, too. It was two boy dolphins. So they're just like, you know, it's like a, a Dutch rudder. Like, <laughs> I only know that from Zach and Mary make a porno. A Dutch rudder? Yeah, it's when. The fuck is that? So it's when you're with your a guy friends, two guys, okay? And you, you, you hold your own peen and he holds his own peen. But then you grab his wrist and he grabs your wrist and you help him but since it's not you're not touching their peen you're, it's not gay wow that's that that's what i learned from kevin smith movies that is some intense justification right there <laughs> someone's got some serious you know, know that was born in jail <laughs> that was born in a prison somewhere <laughs> they're like it's a dutch rudder <laughs> it's like going double dutch but it's a dutch <laughs> rudder cuz you're steering the boat <laughs> Anyway, wow, this this episode already took a weird turn. We went from the Lunar New Year to the Dutch Rudder in five minutes. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's about how long it took. That is impressive. So welcome to Campfire Classics, Hi. a sex terminology podcast. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Where we delve into classic literature and see how much antiquated sexy talk we can pull out of the... the literary ether? I, I was going to go with out of the annals of literature. Okay, so you wanted to go to the butt stuff. Yeah. And- <laughs> Breaking your promise. There you go. Already. Well, there it is. That's what we're here for. Break your break the promises and uh, talk about butts. It's a it's a broken promises podcast, is what it really is. Oh, maybe we should market it like that. <laughs> broken promises and wasted dreams, the campfire classics way. Uh, and a sudden turn to the morose. So, welcome to Campfire Classics. Uh, this is, in fact, a literary comedy podcast where every week we read a short story that we have pulled out of the public domain, and one of us reads it sight unseen for you, dear listeners, so you are learning the story the same time we do, and while we go through, we crack wise, as you might have gathered from the last seven minutes of this podcast, about anything silly that we hear. 
Yep. And uh, we also do some other weird shit, like this thing called Clown Corner that Ken invented when I was not around, and it continues to be happening, or I get yelled at. And uh, <laughs> There's very little yelling. Little yelling, just just uh, knowing looks. Gentle of, reprimands. Of how dare you break the Clown Corner uh, um, pact we have made. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this week, so what I'm saying is it's getting harder and harder to find interesting clown things because we've covered a lot. Um, so this week, I am just literally for Clown Corner covering the mockumentary film called Clown Corner. What? I It is a 15-minute mockumentary film made by a British troupe of clowns. It is, I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. It is right. a fun-filled slice-of-life mockumentary that reveals the hidden world of the clown people for the first time. Huh. I'm reading this directly the, from their website, y'all. The clown people? The clown people. That makes That's, them sound like the mole people I know, or something. it sure does. <laughs> so... Imagine a world where everybody in town is a clown. Clown Corner is a live-action short film pilot that tells the story of the clown people in a world where everyone else in town is a clown. This slice-of-life mockumentary reveals the real world of the clown people. They kind of just repeated themselves. Yeah. <laughs> well, I will say this was supposed to be a pilot for a TV show, so you can go to www.clowncorner.uk and, like, read all about it. It was supposed to be like a like a children's TV show but like kind of like in a Pixar way. Like sure. it was supposed to be family friendly and whatnot. So it's supposed to be uh there's supposed to be these clowns portraying the world of imagination, but it looks like real life because it's set in a gritty urban setting. So it's almost real like it's in a city near you. <laughs> the feature film uh, or the film features. It's definitely not a feature film. The 15-minute feature film. By the way, I'm going to post the 15-minute film on our in our link. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the show notes. I, I have it pulled up right here. I'm going to show Ken the first, like, minute of it um, because I have watched the first five minutes of it. Um, and the film features 20 colorful characters and was filmed on a 50-meter custom design. See, it's in England, so meters. Yeah. 50-meter custom That's design set. That's half a football set. field for yes. our uh, American listeners. Yes. <laughs> it was a custom sign built just for this, and it's an atmospheric streetscape. Uh, it's pure entertainment, but also conveys important values and attributes. It's about being kind, working together, having fun, and being a good friend. <laughs> It's a fun-filled, uh, fun-filled short film for the, all the family. Come and meet the clown people at Clown Corner, directed by Stephen Richardson. <laughs> there was just a tiny little part of me that was <laughs> expecting that to be directed by Steven Spielberg. Directed by Kevin Smith. <laughs> a Jay and Silent Bob film. <laughs> um so the director said, I'm very excited about Clown Corner and believe it's something quite unique in children's entertainment. So now I'm going to show you a minute of Clown Corner. Okay, so he just watched the first minute and a half. Yeah, sorry you didn't get to listen to it, but, you know, copyrighted audio and all that. Uh, Yeah, something like that. Uh <laughs> 
I don't know how how uh, strict they're going to be on this because it is for free everywhere on the internet. But we won't put it on. But we're not. We're not. We're going to give you the link. Yeah. I think my favorite thing about it is that there is a voiceover. So the clowns don't seem to speak in it. This the clowns are indeed silent bobs. Yeah. Um, have you pegged who the VO guy is? Because he sounds he sounds super familiar. very familiar. I have not. Um, he sounds very familiar. Very British. Um, and my favorite thing about the VO is it is kind of out of time with what's going on. It it it, it kind of feels like he's doing it live. Yeah. And so he notices something not when it's actually supposed to be the optimal thing. And it's just like talking. Um, so, yeah, there's that. So uh, here's the credits. Diana slash Tuppy Carol. Tuppy is the main clown. Is supposed to be one of the main clowns. But Stephen Richardson directed, wrote, and produced it. So I'm guessing it might be his voice. Might be Stephen <laughs> Richardson as narrator. <laughs> Uh, I don't see narrator anywhere. Um, oh, it actually filmed in Australia. I'm full of crap. It's not, it is, but it was aimed at the UK, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, the production budget was 108000 Australian dollars. Ooh. <laughs> it doesn't look like it, but it is. Well, it costs a lot of money to get anyone to do anything. But it is in color. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, anyway, I'm going to... Uh, uh, oh, the website is down, so you can't go to the website. So I'm going to send you to this filmfreeway.com that has the full movie and some information if you're interested in watching Clown, Clown Corner, Corner, the film, as opposed to listening to Clown Corner, which you already did because that's how you know about it, because we do Clown Corner. So this is some uh, Inception Clown Corner. Clown this, Corner on Clown Corner. This on is Clown, Clown Corner, Corner on, Clown, on Clown, Corner, Clown Corner in Clown Corner, drinking tea at Clown Corner. All right, so that's Clown Corner this week. Any questions? <laughs> what kind of tea turns you into a clown? I don't think... Is this a joke? No. <laughs> or a question? This was a question. It was phrased like you had an answer. <laughs> no. You, you asked if there were any questions. I had a question. Well, it, uh, according to this film, tea is the national drink of the clown people. Um, yeah, that's why I was asking. Uh, oh, that's right. Listener, you didn't get to hear that. No, because... Yeah, sorry. Yes. Um, Sorry, campers. I forgot you weren't we, part of that. We learned that in the first 30 seconds of the film that tea is the official drink of the clown people. And I'm going to guess English breakfast. English breakfast <laughs> Because tea. she takes a little milk in it. So that's and that's the way an English right. breakfast tea would be served in England, at least. Um, so English breakfast tea will turn you into a clown. You heard it here first. <laughs> Well, that makes a lot of sense because that's my favorite tea, and Lord knows I'm a freaking clown. So, um, so that's Clown Corner. This I, has been the most literal episode of Clown Corner yeah, we have ever had. But still inform- informational, informative, informative. In, uh, full of clowns and whatnot. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so go check out uh, filmfreeway.com. It's got a specific link at the end that we will put in the show notes, and you can watch the 15-minute pilot of Clown Corner. I recommend weed. <laughs> <laughs> I recommend marijuana or bourbon or both. <laughs> Ooh, don't crossfade. <laughs> that's not, that just, no. Not, that's not it. All right. Okay, well, that's Clown Corner. So we do Yay. that. So now about that thing Ken was talking about. With the stories uh, with and the stuff. stories and stuff. Yeah, you know, and the butt stuff. Campfire <laughs> and the butt stuff. So this week we are doing an author we have never covered. Holy shit balls. I know. It's like 
they just there's so many people that write stories. <laughs> uh, so this week we have, and at first I thought this was a woman. It is a man's name, so okay. uh, I'm sure he had issues with his parents. Uh, this is Sabine Baring Gould. Sabine Baring. Yeah. Gould. All right. Uh, and Sabine Baron Gould uh, was an Anglican priest, a noted scholar, a hagiographer. Is that Anglican priest? Anglic- Anglican. Is that what it is? Anglican. Well, Anglican would be like Church of England. Yes. Yeah, Anglican would be like like the girl from Rugrats. Yes, the Church of Angelica. <laughs> the church of Angelica. Okay. No, he was in the Church of England. Okay. Uh, he was a Church of England priest. Not a priest in the Church of Angelica. No, Disappointing, but, but you know, makes more sense. He's a little bit older than Rugrats, I will say. All right. Um, and he was a noted scholar. He was also a hagliographer, which I believe is a uh, scho- made up word. Well, yes. Uh, but from what I could tell on here, it's a like a scholar of the saints. Oh, like someone who like, like, you know, and then modern day saints and stuff like, you know, all that stuff. Hagiographer. Hagiographer. Um, I would have thought someone who drew pictures of hags. Well, some of the saints, you know, were, were not super were concerned really, about their really looks. unfortunate looking. Yeah. <laughs> they were more worried about, you know, solving world hunger and uh, uh, saving the universe. Getting and, shot full of arrows. Exactly. Saint Sebastian. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, look at you. St. Pincushion. I recognize him in the paintings. St. Pincushion. All right. And then St. Peter's the one who got uh, crucified upside down. Okay. You know, uh, you already know more about the saints than I do, and I was raised Catholic. So. Uh, I learned it through um, impromptu art history lessons with my dad and my grandma. Oh, that's funny. Because we would go to art galleries, and uh, they would point out, oh, you can tell this is St. Catherine because of the way she whatever, whatever, whatever. Oh, that's yeah. true. Um, I knew a lot of saints for a while because I had done a role in this play called Marion Bridge, and my character was... Um, would like memorize lists and one of the lists I had to memorize for the show was in alphabetical order the saints. Good lord. Um that was probably the hardest good lord. <laughs> That's Thank pretty you. much what I said. Uh that was one of the hardest things I've ever had to memorize because there was no rhyme or reason to it. I just had to memorize a list of and it and it was kind of undertoning the other conversation. So it just kept going yeah. and I was just like this sucks. But I forgot it all immediately, like I do with most shows. It just kind of, when the show's over, it goes blip. Well, St. Francis was always surrounded by animals. Well, St. Francis is the th- is like animals and, and theater and yeah. wine. St. Francis basically got all the good shit. Yep. <laughs> so I like St. Francis. I have a lot of friends with St. Francis on like a necklace or whatnot. Anyway, back to Sabine Baring Gould, uh, who wrote about these saints, uh, was also a folk song composer. Um, and a remarkably prolific writer and novelist. All right. So this bitch did it all. Uh, we call we call him a uh, well-rounded individual. Renaissance man. Renaissance man in the 1800s. So uh, interestingly enough, in his bibliography, uh, he has uh, well over 1,200 publications. Wow. Between his church writings and his folk songs and his short stories and his novels, he is best known as the author of the extremely enduring Christian hymn, Onward Christian Soldiers. Oh, yeah. Which I actually know. Onward Christian Soldiers. Yep. 
So wait, that was the wrong melody. I don't know. <laughs> that was that was um from the halls of Montezuma. <laughs> da, 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 da. It's okay. All hymns kind of sound the same to they, me. There's so that's the sneaky thing about hymns is that there are, there are four of them. Yes. And you just change the words around. And you change the key. You change the words. It's yep. like that's it. They're all variations on green sleeves. Yeah, and they all are really mean to sopranos. That's all. I, <laughs> that's all I know. Um. So he could actually, Bering Gold could trace his family lineage all the way back to the Crusades. So he had a very big family, grew up in a very wealthy family, very well-to-do family. Um, he gained most of his education from private tutors when his family was traveling around Europe. And in 1852, he attended Cambridge and earned his B.A. Uh, he continued his education, earning his master's from Clare College, um, which is basically a constituent of Cambridge. Uh, he knew very early on that his calling in life was the church. This was in uh, 1850s. He knew he was going to be in the church. So um, early in his teen, like late teens, he knew that's what he wanted. So uh, he made it known that that's what he wanted. And in 1864, after he finished his education, he took his holy orders. Now, well, Mr. Sabine uh, was the acting curate of Hornberry Bridge, which is a well-known large church that was actually connected to his family's estate. Okay. This was like his fourth posting. And so he, he wasn't just like a, a a bridge troll? He wasn't just like a well, bridge Well, he was preacher. also a bridge troll. That was another one of his very, okay. very good skills. He really did it all. He he did everything. Cool. But was, then he also got married. Was but, he a, was he a like, solve my riddle type of troll? Or was he more of a just like jump out and eat you? Definitely solve my riddle. I mean, he's okay. an educated man. Cool, cool, yeah. cool, cool. He doesn't want to hurt you. He wants you to be educated. Yeah, that and, makes sense. And probably made you sing a song or two. Yeah. <laughs> so while he was at Hornberry Bridge in the mid-1860s, uh, he had met the Millhand's daughter, and her name was Grace Taylor. And over the next few, year, few years, they courted and whatnot, and eventually a... Uh, uh, love bloomed, and in 1868, he and Grace became married. And during the course of their 48-year-old marriage, they had 15 children. Uh-huh. So he did all those things and wrote all those things and did all those things and whatnot. And he also raised 15 children. Um, but he was he actually very much was in love with Grace. In 1816, uh, she passed away. And he had carved on her tombstone. 1916? 1916. Uh, what did I say? 1816. Ooh. <laughs> she was a zombie the whole she time. She had been dead since before he was born. And they it just had got a even really creepier. weird relationship. Yep. Uh, but it was love. Yeah. That's, you got it. And it, on, her, on her tombstone, he carved something in Latin that I'm not going to attempt, but it meant half of my soul, or more often translated as my better half. Uh, he never married again, even though he was not that old when she passed. And uh, he remained in love with her until his dying day. And when he passed, was laid right next to her. So a little bit about his writing career, because he had so many, but we're going to read one of his stories. Uh, so here you go. He wrote many, many novels, including just a couple. Uh, the Broom Squire came out in 1869. That's not true. It came out in 1896. I have dyslexia <laughs> with numbers quite clearly today <laughs> and all days. Uh, he wrote A Story of the Salt Marshes in 1880 and a 16-volume series called The Lives of the Saints. 
Uh, he published nearly 200 short stories in assorted magazines and periodicals. Many of these short stories were collected together and republished as anthologies. One of many, one of uh, his best-selling anthologies is called The Book of Ghosts, and Ooh. that was uh, published in 1904. Uh, Love a good ghost anthology. Yeah. Uh, one of his most enduring popular works was Curious Myths of the Middle Ages, and it was first published in two parts during 1866 and 68 and republished in many other editions since then. Uh, each book has 24 chapters that deals with particular medieval superstitions and its variants. Yeah, it was also um, the, that series starred a monkey who just kept asking questions. Curious, Miss. Uh, wow. You, you know a lot about him yeah. for never having doing the research and having no idea I was going to pick this. Um, H.P. Lovecraft termed and uh, referenced this source material from the mid- Middle Ages often because it's about medieval superstitions. Which, you know, aliens sure, and, you yeah. know, uh, well, giant and was, squids and he whatnot. He was certainly you know, delving into that. Very yeah. much. So H.P. Uh, Lovecraft is quoted saying, That curious body of medieval lore of the late Mr. Baring Gould was so effectively assembled in book form. So it was like a very, like, really well put together, like... Um, collection of these uh, very popular medieval myths that kind of had been lost to time and he collected them all. Also another very strange uh, book he wrote, which is uh, used to this day, his folklore studies resulted in the Book of Werewolves in 1865, one of the most frequently cited studies of lycropathy. Lycanthropy. Lycanthropy, thank you. Yep. Uh, he habitu- he habitually wrote while standing, and uh, this is just another fun fact. Uh, he he wrote while standing. His desk can be seen in his manor, which has been preserved. So he was a he had a standing desk. He was, like that's what people have now. Fucking so, hipster. <laughs> fucking hipster. But yeah, so he wrote a book of werewolves, Sweet. and like it kind of falls in with like medieval mythology yeah. and like. Uh, um, wives' tales and whatnot, but it is still used when people are like researching the possibility of werewolves huh. in the world. Yep. Uh, so he ended up passing away on January 2nd, 1924, at the age of 89 years old. Uh, he was then laid to rest next to his lo- beloved wife. Um, Everyone, uh, there's a quote in his bio that said, where he had interests, Sabine wrote and wrote well. Where he loved, Sabine loved and loved until his end. So he, there's like no drama about this person. He just seemed like a good, very like nice cool dude that loved to do a lot of things. So, uh, Yeah, shame about him being a werewolf, but other I mean, than that. He, apparently he was a werewolf and he was just doing research on himself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, let's start that rumor. <laughs> so the story you will be reading today is called The Red-Haired Girl that was first published in the Windsor Magazine in December 1903 and later was a part of the Book of Ghosts when Excellent. it was anthologized. So let's start the fire. The Red-Haired Girl, A Wife's Story, by Sabine Baring Gould. In 1876, we took a house in one of the best streets and parts of... Bitch? B. (laughs) It just says a capital B and then dash, dash, dash. Yeah. It's it's just being edited because he was a man of the church. Yeah. (laughs) I can't say bitch. (laughs) 
Well, so it'd be a town, right? Uh, like Brixton um, is a British town. Uh, Birmingham. Great. It happened in Brixton. Sure. Cool. So oh, if we see B-Dash, We're not, su- we're not supposed to know what it is, but... No. Well, I think that's supposed to add to the, like, it the could mystery. be anywhere. Well, it could be in your town, yes. Yeah. So what what do you think? Is it, it one of the best parts of Brixton, or is it one of the best parts of... I think... All right, cool. Or bitch. <laughs> In 1876, we took a house in one of the best streets and parts of I do not give the name of the street or the number of the house because the circumstances that occurred in that place were such as to make people nervous and shy, unreasonably so, of taking those lodgings after reading our experiences therein. See, where some people run from the haunted places, some people run too. <laughs> These days, that would be a huge selling yeah, point. Yeah, that's, that's what you publish on the Airbnb website, yep. and people are like, how much? I'll pay whatever. We were a small family, my husband, a grown-up daughter, and myself. And we had <laughs> The way that just read, sorry, it sounded like my husband, a grown-up daughter. <laughs> <laughs> My husband, a big girl. (laughs) And we had two maids, a cook, and the other was house and parlor maid in one. We had not been a fortnight in the house before my daughter said to me one morning, Mama, I do not like Jane. That was our house parlor maid. (laughs) Why so? I asked. She seems respectable and she does her work systematically. I have no fault to find with her, none whatever. She may do her work, said Bessie, my daughter, but I dislike inquisitiveness. Inquisitiveness, I exclaimed. What do you mean? Has she been looking into your drawers? I feel like this is an episode of Downton Abbey waiting to happen here. It's like, (laughs) oh, shit, we've got a gossip in the house, do we? Or at least Bessie thinks she is. Uh, Yeah, I think Bessie might be a little uh, paranoid. Has she been looking into your drawers? No, Mama, but she watches me. It's hot weather now, and when I am in my room occasionally, I leave my door open whilst writing a letter or doing any little bit of needlework, and then I am almost certain I hear her outside. If I turn sharply round, I see her slipping out of sight. It is most annoying. I really was unaware that I was such an interesting personage as to make it worth anyone's while to spy out my proceedings. Oh, this girl's so bored. (laughs) Nonsense, my dear. You are sure it is Jane? Well, I suppose so. There was a slight hesitation in her voice. If not Jane, who can it be? Are you sure it is not the cook? Oh, no, it is not the cook. She's busy in the kitchen. I have heard her there when I have gone outside my room upon the landing after having caught that girl watching me. Okay, this girl, this daughter is very bored because she's like, I'm just sitting in my room. Doing my needlepoint, desperately wanting someone to pay attention to me, and then someone does, and now I'm like, well, I didn't realize I was so interested. She's just causing drama in her (laughs) life. Yeah, she just, well, that's uh, when people are bored, they cause drama. We all know the sort. So now they're going after the poor servants, (laughs) or she is. If you have caught her, said I, I suppose you spoke to her about the impropriety of her conduct. Well... Caught is the wrong word. I have not actually caught her at it. Only today I distinctly heard her at my door, and I saw her back as she turned to run away when I went towards her. But you followed her, of course. Yes, but I did not find her on the landing when I got outside. 
Where was she then? I don't know. But did you not go and see? She slipped away with astonishing celerity, said Bessie. Ooh, Bessie's got some vocabulary. <laughs> I can take no steps in the matter. If she does it again, speak to her and remonstrate. Oh, they both have some vocabulary. <laughs> but I never have a chance. She is gone in a moment. She cannot get away so quickly as all that. Somehow she does. Okay, whatever, darling. Go back to your room. Mama's busy. <laughs> that's, that's what I'd be like. We're like, okay, anyway, moving on. <laughs> and you are sure it is Jane? Again, I asked. And again, she replied, if not Jane, who else can it be? There is no one else in the house. So this unpleasant matter ended for a time. The next intimation of something of the sort proceeded from another quarter, in fact, from Jane herself. She came to me some days later and said with some embarrassment in her tone, If you please, ma'am, if I do not give satisfaction, I would rather leave the situation. Leave? I exclaimed. Why, I have not given you the slightest cause. I have not found fault in you or anything as yet, have I, Jane? On the contrary, I have been much pleased with the thoroughness of your work. And you are always tidy and obliging. It isn't that, ma'am. But I don't like being watched whatever I do. <laughs> watched? I repeated. What do you mean? You surely do not suppose that I am running after you when you are engaged on your occupations. I assure you I have other and more important things to do. No, ma'am, I don't suppose you do. Then who watches you? I think it must be Miss Bessie. Miss Bessie? I could say no more. I was so astounded. Oh, shit, they think they're watching each other. That's creepy. Yes, ma'am. When I'm sweeping out a room and my back is turned, I hear her at the door. And when I turn myself about, I just catch a glimpse of her running away. I see her skirts. Miss Bessie is above doing anything of the sort. If not Miss Bessie, who is it, ma'am? There was a tone of indecision in her voice. My good Jane, said I, set your mind at rest. Miss Bessie could not act as you suppose. Have you seen her on these occasions and assured yourself that it is she? No, ma'am, I've not so to speak, seen her face, but I know it ain't Cook. And I'm sure it ain't you, ma'am, so who else can it be? I hope the end of the story is the cook. <laughs> it's like the cook is uh, practicing her magician's act and is just going around and stalking everyone, even though everyone is quite sure it is not the cook. <laughs> or the husband, who's the only one who has not come up yet. Well, the husband doesn't matter. <laughs> This is a wife's story. It's Hang about on. all the ladies. Hang on. Here, my official theory. We are, um, like, eight paragraphs into the, the, the story. Okay. My official theory. Yes. Um, the wife counts the family as her, the husband, the little girl, and their two maids. Mm -hmm. The husband is dead and has been for years. He is a ghost that is spying on everyone. That is my official theory. Ew, why is he spying on it? Well, I guess he's just watching he's his just, little he's girl. He's just, yeah, he's, it's he's not spying. He's keeping an eye on the family. He's just keeping an eye on the family. Uh, my theory is, is this, this is like a little girl that died in this house and uh, just desperately wants a friend. And Miss Bessie and uh, uh, Jane are like roughly the same age, probably kind of young. And uh, she's like, 
I want to be friends with the girls. Please, I have red hair. <laughs> I'm of the devil. <laughs> I considered for some moments, and the maid stood before me in dubious mood. You say you saw her skirts. Did you recognize the gown? What did she wear? It was a light cotton print. More like a maid's morning dress. Well, set your mind at ease. Miss Bessie has not got such a frock as you describe. <laughs> she doesn't dress like that. I don't think she has, said Jane. But there was someone at the door watching me who ran away when I turned myself about. Did she run upstairs or down? I don't know. I did go out on the landing, but there was no one there. I'm sure it wasn't Cook, for I heard her clattering the dishes down in the kitchen at that time. Well, Jane, there is some mystery in this. I will not accept your notice. We will let matters stand over till we can look into this complaint of yours and discover the rights of it. Thank you, ma'am. I'm very comfortable here, but it is unpleasant to suppose that one is not trusted and is spied on wherever one goes and whatever one is about. A week later, after dinner one evening when Bessie and I had quitted the table and left my husband to his smoke, Bessie said to me when we were in the drawing room together, Mama, it is not Jane. <laughs> well, the husband seems to be alive. He just doesn't talk to anybody. Well... Maybe the husband's shtick in the cook, and that's what they're hearing down in the kitchen. It could, it could also be, like, the, the narrator is the only one who has acknowledged the husband so far. It could be a fight club situation. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, okay. Spoilers. All right. Um, spoilers. If you haven't seen Fight Club yet. <laughs> then you then what are you doing? <laughs> you're behind the times. That's all. Mama, it is not Jane. What is not Jane, I asked. It is not Jane who watches me. Who can it be, then? I don't know. And how is it that you are confident that you are not being observed by Jane? Because I have seen her. That is to say, her head. When? Where? While stressing for dinner, I was before the glass doing my hair when I saw in the mirror someone behind me. Oh, God. I had only the two candles lighted on the table, and the room was otherwise dark. I thought I heard someone stirring. Just a sort of stealthy step I have come to recognize as having troubled me so often. I did not turn, but looked steadily before me into the glass, and I could see reflected therein someone, a woman with red hair. Then I moved from my place quickly. I heard steps of some person hurrying away, but I saw no one then. The door was open. No, it was shut. Ew. But where did she go? I do not know, Mama. I looked everywhere in the room and could find no one. I have been quite upset. I cannot tell what to think of this. I feel utterly unhinged. <laughs> it's because you're bored, honey. It's okay. I noticed a table that you did not appear well, but I said nothing about it. Your father gets so alarmed and fidgets and fusses if he thinks that there is anything the matter with you. But this is a most extraordinary story. It is an extraordinary fact, said Bessie. Oh, she's like, Mom, I saw the lady. You have searched your room thoroughly. I have looked in every corner. And there is no one there? No one. Would you mind Mama sleeping with me tonight? I'm so frightened. Do you think it can be a ghost? Ghost? 
Fiddlesticks. Fiddlesticks, indeed. <laughs> I like when uh, authors use fiddlesticks. It's like saying, fuck that. <laughs> I wonder what the etymology of fiddlesticks is. Fiddlesticks? Let's look it up. What is the meaning of fiddlesticks? An exclamation, meaning nonsense or rubbish or well, bullshit yeah. or fuck that. Uh, the term fiddlesticks derives from the literal fiddlesticks, that is, the bows that were used to play violins that right. have been named, blah, blah, blah. The word was appropriated to indicate absurdity in the 17th century. Thomas Nash used it that way in the play Summer's Last Will and Testament in 1600. Okay. The line was, a fiddlestick, ne'er tell me I am full of words. There is nothing inherently comic about a violin bow. It seems that fiddlesticks was chosen because it sounded like a funny word, like scuttlebutt. <laughs> awesome. There it is. There's the butt. Just so you know, a scuttlebutt is a cask of drinking water. A lip lickspittle is a syncophat. A sycophant. Sycophant. Yeah. yeah. Lickspittle. Sycophant. Yeah. Um, I know a, where that one comes from. And a snolly gosher is an unprincipled person. Snolly gosher? Snolly gosher. That sounds like something you would hear in like uh, Willy Wonka at the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, I was going to go with the Muppets, but yeah, yeah Willy Wonka, absolutely. So, Snolly goster. <laughs> Snolly goster. Huh. <laughs> so it's it's kind of one of those Shakespeare things. He just was like, yeah, I'm going to repurpose this word because it's a funny word. Because it sounds funny. So fiddlesticks indeed, you snolly gosser. I made some excuse to my husband and spent the night in Bessie's room. There was no disturbance that night of any sort, and although my daughter was excited and unable to sleep till long after midnight, she did fall into refreshing slumber at last, and in the morning said to me, Mama, I think I must have fancied that I saw something in the glass. I dare say my nerves were overwrought. <laughs> I was greatly relieved to hear this. And I arrived at much the same conclusion as did Bessie, but was again bewildered and my mind unsettled by Jane, who came to me just before lunch when I was alone, and said, Please, ma'am, it's only fair to say, but it's not Miss Bessie. What is not Miss Bessie? I mean, who is not Miss Bessie? Hers is spying on me. I told you it could not be she. Who is it? Please, ma'am, I don't know... It's a red-haired girl. But Jane, be serious. There's no red-haired girl in the house. I know there ain't, ma'am. But for all that, she spies on me. There's a red-haired girl tied up in the basement, and she's having fun with your husband. Maybe that's what's going on. Jesus. <laughs> that went to a place? Well, I didn't say she was a child. It's a red-haired girl. <laughs> no, it was the tied up in the basement. Well. That got the Jesus from me, not the fact that I thought she was underage. Be reasonable, Jane, I said, disguising the shock her words produced on me. If there be no redhead girl in this house, how can you have one watching you? I don't know, but one does. How do you know that she is red-haired? Because I've seen her. When? This morning, indeed. Yes, ma'am. I was going upstairs when I heard steps coming softly after me. The back stairs, ma'am, they're rather dark and steep, and there's no carpet on them as on the front stairs, and I was sure I heard someone following me, so I twisted about thinking it might be Cook, but it wasn't. 
I saw a young woman in a print dress, and the light, as came from the window at the side, fell on her head, and it was carrots. Regular carrots. <laughs> That's what I call myself. <laughs> when I when someone asks my hair color, I just say, carrots. Regular carrots. <laughs> it's carrots. Regular carrots. <laughs> dark, dark carrots. <laughs> Did you see her face? No, ma'am. She put her arm up and turned and ran downstairs, and I went after her, but I never found her. You followed her? How far? To the kitchen. Cook was there, and I said to Cook, says I, did you see a girl come this way? And she said short like, no. <laughs> yeah, Cook's, Cook's like, you fucking crazy woman. <laughs> and Cook's, I'm busy. And Cook saw nothing at all. Nothing. I suppose I frightened her, as I'd been telling her about how I was followed and spied on. I mused a moment only, and then said solemnly, Jane, what you want is a pill. You are suffering from hallucinations. I know a case very much like yours, and take my word for it, that in your condition of liver or digestion, a pill is a sovereign remedy. What is with the 1800s, man? Fucking Dickens, uh, and uh, there's more grave and gravy about you. Uh, there's, uh, we read another story recently where it's like, oh, I think I saw a ghost, but maybe, probably just just, indigestion. maybe the pie I ate was just bad. And it's like, no, it's because they all know about that hallucinogenic blue cheese. Oh, because they, well, they are in England. Mm-hmm. So if you do eat enough of that blue Stilton, then I guess you will. Yep. But I don't think there's a pill to reverse that. <laughs> She's just like, I've got it. I've got it. Here, take some, take some well, it's, Xanax. No, it'll it's, feel better. It's a cocaine pill. Well, yes, it probably is. Cocaine will not calm you down. <laughs> no, but cocaine was a subscription. It's, it's probably subscription, an opium pill. A prescription for everything. Isn't it an opium pill? Opium, more likely. It's an opium yeah. pill. The cocaine is when you, you're so tired you can't get out of yeah. bed. And then the opium is when you see ghosts. Yes. <laughs> uh, 1800s medicine. Yay! A pill is a sovereign remedy. Set your mind at rest. This is a mere delusion caused by pressure on the optic nerve. I will give you a pill tonight when you go to bed, another tomorrow, a third the day after, and that will settle the red-haired girl. You will see no more of her. I love that the lady of the house is a doctor all of a sudden. <laughs> well, I mean, she's clearly prescribing a placebo. Yes. She, yeah. Well, yeah, she's like, here's some M&Ms. They'll make you feel so much better. <laughs> I need my Purin tablets. Yeah, Purin, yes. I will give you a pill tonight when you go to bed, another tomorrow, a third on the day after, and that will settle the red-haired girl. You will see no more of her. You think so, ma'am? I am sure of it. On consideration, I thought it as well to mention the matter to the cook, a strange, reserved woman, not given to talking, who did her work admirably, but whom, for some inexplicable reason, I did not like. If I had considered a little further as to how to broach the subject, I should perhaps have proved more successful, but by not doing so, I rushed the question and obtained no satisfaction. (laughs) Cook seems like a gem. I had gone down to the kitchen to order dinner, and the difficult question had arisen, how to dispose of the scraps from yesterday's joint. Oh, wait, what? (laughs) 
<laughs> you gotta always figure out a way to get rid of the joint. You always yeah. gotta get rid of the joint. Yeah, I gotta get rid of the evidence or the, the popo coming to the knock on the door. You're getting the maid high, giving her sugar pills and joints. I mean, this house is crazy. Uh, that said, joint is the yeah, it's meat. the the meat. Yeah. Yes, the leg of the lamb or whatever they had. Yes, I know. <laughs> uh, Rizols, ma'am. No, said I. Not Rizols. Your master objects to them. Then perhaps croquettes. They are only Rizols in disguise. <laughs> perhaps cottage pie. No, that is inorganic Rizol. A sort of protoplasm out of which Rizols are developed. Then, ma'am, I might make hash. Not an ordinary, bare-faced, rudimentary hash. Now we know why the cook fucking hates her. <laughs> no, ma'am. With French mushrooms or truffles or tomatoes. Well, yes, perhaps. By the way, talking of tomatoes... <laughs> who is that red-haired girl who has been in the house? <laughs> this bitch is worse at segues than we are. <laughs> Can't say, ma'am. I noticed at once that the eye of the cook contracted, her lips tightened, and her face assumed a half-defiant, half-terrified look. Ooh. You have not many friends in this place, have you, cook? No, ma'am, none. Then who can she be? Can't say, ma'am. You can throw no light on the matter? It is very unsatisfactory having a person about the house, and she has been seen upstairs, of whom one knows nothing. No doubt, ma'am. And you cannot enlighten me. She's no friend of mine. Nor is she of Jane's. Jane spoke to me about her. Has she remarked concerning this girl to you? Can't say, ma'am, as I notice all Jane says. She talks a good deal. <laughs> You see, there must be someone who is a stranger and who has access to this house. It is most awkward. Very so, ma'am. The cook's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I get, get it. it. Uh, now I have to figure out what the fuck to cook because everything I said, you're like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> I could get nothing more from the cook. I might as well have talked to a log. And indeed, her face assumed a wooden look as I continued to speak to her on the matter. So I sighed and said, Very well, hash with tomato, and went upstairs. <laughs> a few days later, the house parlor maid said to me, Please, ma'am, may I have another pill? Uh-oh, she addicted now. See, look what you did. Pill? I exclaimed. Why? Because I have seen her again. She was behind the curtains. I caught her putting out her red head to look at me. Did you see her face? No. She up with her arm over it and scuttled away. This is strange. I do think I have more than two... Podophilian? Podophilin? Podoph... Ooh. Ooh, what are those? Oh, she was giving her real medicine. <laughs> Podophilin. Podophilin. Podoph... Podophilin. How to treat symptoms of genital warts! <laughs> Maybe the husband is sleeping around. Dermatology. It's a dermatological. Yeah, it's, it was still a 
<laughs> Pedophilin anus. <laughs> that's, on, that's on Google. <laughs> Back to the bus. Careful when Googling pedophilin. <laughs> this is strange. I do not think I have more than two pedophilin pills left in the box, but to those, you are welcome. Only, I should recommend a different treatment. Instead of taking them yourself, the moment you see or fancy you see the red-haired girl, go at her with the box and threaten to administer the pills to her. That will rout her if anything will. But she will not stop for the pills. <laughs> the threat of having them forced on her every time she shows herself will disconcert her. Conceive, I am supposing that on each occasion Miss Bessie or I were to meet you on the stairs, in a room, or on the landing, in the hall, we were to rush on you and force, let us say, castor oil globules between your lips. You would give notice at once. Yes, so should ma'am. Well, try this upon the red-haired girl. It will prove infallible. Thank you, ma'am. What you say seems... Reasonable. It's the dumbest plan I've ever heard about. That's <laughs> so stupid. Like, why don't you just run at her screaming? Like, I see you! I see you! That would that would also make me want to get the fuck out. Yeah. <clears throat> but no, chase her with this box of genital wart pills, because that'll scare her. <laughs> Unless she has genital warts, in which case Maybe she'll probably stick she, around for them. That's probably why she's hanging around. She wants her she wants those those pills. Whether Bessie saw more of the puzzling apparition, I cannot say. She spoke no further on the matter to me, but that may have been so as to cause me no further uneasiness. I was unable to resolve the question to my own satisfaction, whether what had been seen was a real person who obtained access to the house in some unaccountable manner, or whether it was what I have called it, an apparition. As far as I could ascertain, nothing had been taken away. The movements of the red-haired girl were not those of one who sought to pilfer. They seemed to me rather those of one not in her right mind. And on this supposition, I made inquiries in the neighborhood as to the existence in our street, in any of the adjoining houses, of a person wanting in her wits who was suffered to run about at will, but I could obtain no information that at all threw light on a point to me so perplexing. Hitherto, I had not mentioned the topic to my husband. Well, you should, because it's his lady who's tied up in the basement. <laughs> With genital warts. <laughs> I knew so well that I should obtain no help from him that I made no effort to seek it. He would pish and pshaw and make some slighting reference to women's intellects and not further trouble himself about the matter. He sounds like a keeper. But one day, to my great astonishment, he referred to it himself. Julia, he said, do you observe how I have cut myself in shaving? Yes, dear, I replied. You have cotton wool sticking to your jaw, as if you were growing a white whisker on one side. <laughs> it bled a great deal, said he. I am sorry to hear it. And I mopped up the blood with the new toilet cover. <laughs> Never! <laughs> I exclaimed. 
You haven't been so foolish as to do that. Well, shit. <laughs> yes, and that is just like you. You are much more concerned with your toilet cover being stained than about my poor cheek, which is gashed. You were very clumsy to do it, was all I could say. <laughs> Married people are not always careful to preserve the amenities in private life. It is a pity, but it is so. They seem super happy. <laughs> it was due to no clumsiness on my part, said he, though I do allow my nerves have been so shaken, broken by married life that I cannot always command my hand, as was the case when I was a bachelor. But this time, it was due to that new, stupid, red-haired servant you have introduced into the house without consulting me or my pocket. <laughs> red-haired servant, I echoed. Yes, that red-haired girl I have seen about. She thrusts herself into my study in a most offensive and objectionable way. Mm -hmm. But the climax of all was this morning when well, I was shaving. Is he just admitting it right now? <laughs> She's thrusting herself on me and climaxing in the morning, and then I cut my myself shaving because I was shaking so much? <laughs> you really shouldn't be shaving during climax. <laughs> that is dangerous. Or climaxing during shaving. Whichever, Whichever way is one. easier to think yeah. about it. Like, that's just not a great that's, plan. That's not the time. I stood in my shirt before the glass and had lathered my face and was engaged on my right jaw when the red-haired girl rushed between me and the mirror with both her elbows up, screening her face with her arms, and her head bowed. I started back and in so doing, cut myself. Ooh. Where did she come from? How can I tell? I did not expect to see anyone... Where did she go? I do not know. I was too concerned about my bleeding jaw to look about me. That girl must be dismissed. I wish she could be dismissed, I said. <laughs> what do you mean? I did not answer my husband, for I really did not know what answer to make. I was now the only person in the house who had not seen the red-haired girl, except possibly the cook, from whom I could gather nothing, but whom I suspected of knowing more concerning this mysterious apparition than she chose to admit. I have a new theory. It's the wife in a wig running around after she's uh, taken too many... Uh Palafarin pills or <laughs> genital wart pills. She's just so, so it is doped a fight up. Club situation. Yeah, she's so doped up on her uh, her 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 wart pills that she doesn't remember when she runs around the house in her favorite red wig and covering covering her eyes. So we're about to figure out if Chuck Palahniuk stole Fight Club <laughs> from, from from a priest from a priest <laughs> or a vicar. I don't know what what are, are they priests at the Church of England. Said he was an Anglican priest, right? Yeah. Okay. That would make him a priest. Actually, I said he was an Anglican priest. But yes. I was now the only person in the house who had not seen the red-haired girl, except possibly the cook, from whom I could gather nothing, but whom I suspected of knowing more concerning this mysterious apparition than she chose to admit. That what had been seen by Bessie and Jane was a supernatural visitant I now felt convinced seeing that it had appeared to that least imaginative and most commonplace of all individuals, my husband. <laughs> but no, right, girl. by no mental process could he have been got to imagine anything. 
He certainly did see this red-haired girl, and that no living corporeal maid had been in his dressing room at the time, I was perfectly certain. I was soon, however, myself to be included in the number of those before whose eyes she appeared. It was in this wise. She was looking in the mirror. <laughs> Cook had gone out to do some marketing. I was in the breakfast room when wanting to... I love to... The how rich they are. They have a breakfast room. Yeah. Not, not the dining room. The breakfast room. I was in the breakfast room when wanting a funnel to fill a little file of brandy I always keep on the washstand in case of emergencies, I went to the head of the kitchen stairs to descend and fetch what I required. Then I was aware of a great clattering of the fire irons below and a banging about of the boiler and grate. I went down the steps very hastily and entered the kitchen. There I saw a figure of a short-set girl in a shabby cotton gown, not very clean, and slipshod, stooping before the stove and striking the fender with an iron poker. She had fiery red hair, very untidy. I uttered an exclamation. Instantly, she dropped the poker and covered her face with her arms, uttering a strange low cry. She dashed round the kitchen table, making nearly the complete circuit, and then swept past me, and I heard her clattering up the kitchen stairs. I was too much taken aback to follow. I stood as one petrified. I felt dazed and unable to trust either my eyes or my ears. Something like a minute must have elapsed before I sufficiently recovered to turn and leave the kitchen. Then I ascended slowly, and I confess nervously. I was fearful lest I should find the red-haired girl cowering against the wall and that I should have to pass her. But nothing was to be seen. I reached the hall and saw that no door was open from it except that of the breakfast room. I entered and thoroughly examined every recess, corner, and conceivable hiding place, but could find no one there. Then I ascended the staircase with my hand on the balustrade and searched all the rooms on the first floor without the least success. Above were the servants' apartments, and I now resolved on mounting to them. Here the staircase was uncarpeted. As I was ascending, I heard Jane at work in her room. I then heard her come out hastily upon the landing. At the same moment, with a rush past me, uttering the same moan, went the red-haired girl. I am sure I felt her skirts sweep my dress. I did not notice her till she was close upon me, but I did distinctly see her as she passed. I turned and saw no more. <laughs> I had once mounted to the landing where was Jane. What is it? I asked. Please, ma'am, I've seen the red-haired girl again, and I did as you recommended. I went at her rattle in the pillbox, and she turned and ran downstairs. Did you see her, ma'am, as you came up? How inexplicable, I said. I would not admit to Jane that I had seen the apparition. Shocking that the pill shaking didn't work. I mean... Just well, such a good plan. She did run away. Well, she ran away, but they want to catch her. <laughs> the situation remained unaltered for a week. 
The mystery was unsolved. No fresh light had been thrown on it. I did not see or hear anything out of the way, nor did my husband, I presume, for he made no further remarks relative to the extra servant who had caused him such annoyance. I presume, he supposed, that I had summarily dismissed her. This... I conjectured from the smugness assumed by his face, such as it always acquired when he had carried a point against me, which was not often. <laughs> Their relationship's funny. <laughs> However, one evening, abruptly, we had a new sensation. My husband, Bessie, and I were at dinner, and we were... Partaking of the soup, Jane standing by, waiting to change our plates and to remove the tureen. When we dropped our spoons, alarmed by fearful screams issuing from the kitchen. By the way, characteristically, my husband finished his soup before he laid down the spoon and said, Good gracious, what is that? <laughs> Bessie, Jane, and I were by this time at the door, and we rushed together to the kitchen stairs, and one after the other ran down them. I was first to enter, and I saw a cook wrapped in flames, oh, shit. and a paraffin lamp on the floor broken, and the blazing oil flowing over it. Oh my god. I had sufficient presence of mind to catch up the coconut matting, which was not impregnated with the oil, and throw it round the cook, wrap her tightly in it, and force her down on the floor, Stop, where drop, and roll. Stop, not drop, and overflowed roll. by the oil. I held her thus, and Bessie suckered me. <laughs> sounds so nasty. <laughs> it sounds nasty, and we don't, it, it means helps, but uh, it sounds like Bessie suckered me. <laughs> Sometimes that can be helpful, too. <laughs> Jane was too frightened to do other than scream. The cries of the burnt woman were terrible. Presently, my husband appeared. Dear me, bless me, good gracious, he said. You're helpful. You go away and fetch a doctor, I called to him. You can be of no possible service here. You only get in the way. But <laughs> the dinner, bother the dinner, run for a surgeon. I love that the cook's fucking like burning in front of him and he's like, but dinner. <laughs> you moron, get dumbass. In a little while, we had removed the poor woman to her room, she shrieking the whole way upstairs. And when there, we laid her on the bed and kept her folded in the coconut matting till a medical man arrived, in spite of her struggles to be free. My husband, on his occasion, acted with commendable promptness, but whether because he was impatient for the completion of his meal, or whether his sluggish nature was for once touched with human sympathy, it is not for me to say. <laughs> he did it because he was hungry. All I know is that, so soon as the surgeon was there, I dismissed Jane with, There, go and get your master the rest of his dinner and leave us with Cook. The poor creature was frightfully burnt. She was attended to devotely by Bessie and myself till the nurse was obtained from the hospital. For hours she was as one mad with terror as much with pain. Next day she was quieter and sent for me. 
I hastened to her, and she begged the nurse to leave the room. I took a chair and seated myself by her bedside and expressed my profound commiseration and told her that I should like to know how the accident had taken place. Ma'am, it was the red-haired girl did it. The red-haired girl? Yes, ma'am. I took the lamp to look how the fish was getting on, and all at once I saw her rush straight at me, and I... I backed, thinking she would knock me down, and the lamp fell over and smashed, and my clothes caught, and... Oh, Cook, you should not have taken the lamp. It's done. And she would never leave me alone till she had burnt or scalded me. You needn't be afraid. She don't haunt the house. It is me she has haunted. Because of what I did to her. Oh, shit! Then you know her. She was in service with me, as kitchen maid at my last place near Cambridge. I took a sort of hate against her. She was such a slattern and so inquisitive. She peeped into my letters and turned out my box and drawers. She was ever prying, and when I spoke to her, she was that saucy. I regular hated her. And one day, she was kneeling by the stove, and I was there, too, and I suppose the devil possessed me, for I upset the boiler as was on the hot plate right upon her. Just as she looked up, and it poured over her face and bosom and arms and scalded her that dreadful, she died. And since then, she has haunted me. But she'll do so no more. She won't trouble you further. She's done for me, as she has always minded to do, since I scalded her to death. The unhappy woman did not recover. Dear me, no hope, said my husband, when informed that the surgeon despaired of her. And good cooks are so scarce. By the way, that red-haired girl. Gone. Gone. Forever. I said. The end. Holy shit, that ghost fucking killed her. Now, to be fair, she killed her. Yep. So it was a revenge story. Yeah, I did not see All that right. twist coming. <laughs> I was not ready for that. Wow. I figured, like, she got hurt, like, in the house, like, in the kitchen and, like... That it was connected to the house somehow, it yeah. It connected to the stove, because that's where... Uh, and it was, mm-hmm. but I thought it was like she was in the house somehow. Yeah, no. Oh my God! Huh. Wow, you rarely read you you rarely read stories where the ghost actually kills somebody. Yeah. Like usually they drive someone to like do something, like they drive them to insanity, they drive them to walk off the cliff or whatever. But rarely do you have. That the ghost, like, caused her to, like, fucking burn herself to death. Well, and I was going to say, technically, the ghost didn't kill her. The ghost ran ran in front of her and scared the crap out of her. She knew how to do it at the right moment. She was waiting for the right moment where she was holding fire. Yeah. That's freaking disturbing. All right. (laughs) Wowza. I had an Agatha Christie ending. Yeah. (laughs) We had a lot of theories, and that was not even close to any of them. So, all right. Well, um... Well done, Sabine. Yeah. So far, you have fooled me every time. Yes. 
Good, good job, Sabine. You have a 100% success rate. <laughs> and he fooled me because I thought it was a woman originally. So I've been fooled <laughs> yeah. twice by Sabine. So well done. Did write a woman narrator. Yeah. Which does not happen, happen often, yeah. especially when men are the writers. Absolutely. Well, he was so close with his wife. I wonder if that yeah. inspired him a lot to in his writing. Um, yeah. They, he was truly like loved his wife, had a very opposite relationship to yeah. the wife and husband in this story. Yeah. I'm assuming that was based on some neighbors of theirs. <laughs> yeah, or just like people that he's seen. Yeah. Well, that's certainly, what I'm saying. Yeah. When you grow up in society, that's a lot yeah. of the marriages is like, meh. Um, wow. That was, that was fun. Yeah. I enjoyed that one. <laughs> All right. All right, Sabine and your fire ghost. I love that the fire ghost is also a redhead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Like, woo, that's appropriate. Woo. Hey, listener, did you guess correctly? Or were you thrown for a loop just like we were? As long as you weren't thrown into the fire, then you're good. <laughs> um, so, I yeah, that's one of the two questions I, I want you to answer this week. Uh, let us know if you figured it out. And uh, as always, generally, just what you thought of that story. Did mm-hmm. you enjoy it? Um, I also want to know your thoughts on Clown Corner. Yeah. Like so, actually watch it. Watch, like, watch not the on thing. our Clown Corner, but us doing the movie Clown Corner in Clown Corner. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to know what you thought of the 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 little 15-minute mockumentary Clown Corner. Uh, so give us your thoughts to that. Give us your thoughts on the story. And when you write in, please include this week's secret passcode. Oh, sorry. I skipped this part. When you write in to 5050artsproduction at gmail.com or any of our social medias by searching for Campfire Classics. Campfire Classics um, podcast. Uh, please include this week's secret passcode, which is genital warts. Jesus Christ. <laughs> he has nothing to do with it. <laughs> or does he? I, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that was a fun one. Yeah, I liked cool, cool. it. That was great. Any parting shots before we say adieu? I don't have much to say after a ghost murder. So. All yeah. right. In that case, until next week, this has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. I hope if someone kills me, I come back and kill them as the red-haired girl. (laughs) Is that too dark? Wow. (laughs) It's just the time. That's that's a way to sign off. If someone takes me out, I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm coming back.